Amen. Would you please be seated, friends? If you would open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 14. We are finishing this passage of Scripture tonight. We're looking at verses 24 through 28. Again, if you will listen to the Lord's word. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. This is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me and let's seek his blessing. Again, our Father in heaven, what a startling passage 2 Samuel is. A reminder that while you are a God of tremendous kindness, loving kindness and grace, you are also a God who on occasion breaks through and strikes people dead. Uzzah. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, who, who would lie, who would approach you in an irreverent manner. And we confess to you, Father, that we are, uh, as Isaiah would say, I am an, a man of unclean lips, and I live and dwell among a people of unclean lips. In so many ways, Lord, we have approached you in an irreverent manner, and these passages are recorded for us so that we would be mindful uh, that you will, will be treated as holy by those who approach you. And so we ask, O oh Father, that we would. And we pray that the reverence that you demand uh, and that you are certainly entitled to as, as the Almighty, we pray, Lord, that this reverence would be upon us as now we handle your word, both as servant and these your people, that you would give us ears to hear, that we would have hearts that weigh and take these things to heart, that we would not be careless or silly uh, with your things. That you would be esteemed in all that we do and say and think by what we don't do or what we do. We pray that uh, you would be honored in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless your church and strengthen her and refine her and enliven her again and bring her back to her first love. Oh, Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are uh, at the end of the first missionary journey. Scholars believe that Paul and Barnabas have been gone for roughly two years from Antioch. Uh, what we read here is not an account of some privatized, individualistic, every man is his own island mindset. We don't see here some personalized ambition. Rather, what we see here is a recognition and an acceptance that they, being Paul and Barnabas, have served something larger than themselves. And this is borne out by the fact, and I don't know how else you could look at this, I don't know of anyone who would go through what they went through, who would so consistently and faithfully endure the hardship they did, unless they had that conviction that they were doing or serving some higher call than their own personal peace and affluence. These men are different. They have a different call. Paul would say later in Acts 20, verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself 
so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul understood that he was serving something much bigger than himself. It was a calling from the Lord as he says that he had received this from the Lord Jesus. And he was, and Barnabas was, a part and were partners with the church. Our confession of faith says this about the church, and I think this is important. Um, Chapter 25, paragraph 3, the Westminster Assembly wrote, Unto this Catholic that is universal, unto this Catholic visible church, Christ has given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, makes them effectual thereunto. The focus in chapters 13 and 14 uh, the, the duration here of this first missionary journey have been mainly upon Paul and Barnabas. But we mustn't forget that it was the church at the direction of the Holy Spirit that sent them away. Very important that we see this. It was the church that the Lord used. Let me say that again. It was the church that the Lord used. It wasn't a parachurch organization. It was the church. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord can't use a parachurch organization. Sadly, when the church forfeits its responsibility and its obedience to the Lord, the Lord, who was eager for his glory, will make his name known. Think a few years back. It was a chicken restaurant that spoke out about the sanctity of marriage. It was a duck hunter who spoke up uh, about homosexual wedding, a very interesting thing, while many churches sat by because we don't want to violate church and state, which is a farce, right? That's a farce. It was the church that the Lord used to raise up Paul and Barnabas um, and to send them away. And to where do they now return at the end of chapter 14? They started in Antioch, and they wind up coming right back to Antioch. Here is a great reminder to us, friends, uh, a demonstration to the church how essential the church is to the advance of the gospel. The church is essential to the advance of the gospel, and, and these things are recorded for us, I believe, so that the church, so that you would be encouraged in the work of the gospel. So often we think, well, it's just Paul and Barnabas. Well, it's just the pastor. Well, it's just the elders. Well, it's just the deacon, but it's the church. The church mustn't be sidelined. Paul and Barnabas don't sideline the church. And we find that Luke, as he has written this by the direction and by the power of the Holy Spirit working upon Luke, God's word points out that, that this missionary journey started with the church and it ends with the church receiving them back. That's significant. So notice here, as we read again, verses 24 through 26, what we see here is how they returned to those who had commended them to God. Again, noticing this, that the church really is essential, truly essential to the advance of the gospel. Listen again to 24 through 26. They came through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. 
they returned home to those who had commended them to God. Now Luke has recorded their steps home. Remember uh, last when we were looking at this, we read of them being in Derby, which was just on the other side of the mountain range from Tarsus, and not too much further from that was Antioch. So they're, they're, they've traveled north, they've traveled west, they've done this kind of circuitous motion, they've come back around almost to the point where they could have easily walked back to Antioch, but out of concern for the churches, uh, we read that they, um, they went to the other places. Uh, they caused them to retrace their steps from Derby to Lystra, from Lystra to Iconium, and from Iconium to Pisidian Antioch, where they, and I quote verse 22, strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And with each of these congregations, they ensured that they were left in the caring and competent hands of elders, commending them ultimately to the Lord in whom they had believed. It is then that Luke traces their steps back from, from Pisidian Antioch. We are told that they passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. Pisidia was an unsafe place, and in Pamphylia was where John had deserted them in Acts 13, 13. Luke records that when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. They preached the word there. They preached the word, perhaps uh, in Perga, because of the disruption of John's leaving, and it kept them from being able to preach some two years earlier. Um, they preached the word there. But on their way home, as they have preached in Perga, Luke says nothing about opposition or indifference on the part of the population. Apparently, said one commentator, the apostles are unable to form a nucleus for the founding of a church. Thus, they continue their travels and board a ship in the harbor town of Italia, which, incidentally, was the best harbor on the coast in Pamphylia, and they return to Syrian Antioch. It was to Antioch from which they began their journey that they now uh, sail to. From there they sailed to Antioch, writes Luke, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. So they've come home. They have come home. Paul and Barnabas have come home. Acts 13, 1 through 3 reads this, just to remind you. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. Notice the, the plural there. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord in fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Uh, why? Understand, friends, uh, the apostles Paul and Barnabas were not acting as independent agents, but as men sent out by the church. Uh, again, an American way is to be individualistic, uh, but they wouldn't. They didn't. They stayed right there. Remember, they're not going anywhere. They're ministering happily in Antioch, and it's the Holy Spirit who tells them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Um, so they are not... Um, taking an independent role here, but at the direction of the Spirit, they are sent away by the church and by the Holy Spirit. Interesting there, they're sent away by the church. They're also sent away by the Holy Spirit. What does that tell you? That the Holy Spirit works through the church. The Holy Spirit is working through his church. Therefore, 
it is good and proper that they should go back to those who had commended them to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. The church in Antioch had been instrumental in sending Paul and Barnabas. They did not strike out on their own. It was from the church in Antioch, we are told, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And they did just that. Luke writes that the church commended them to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. To be commended means that they gave them over to the Lord, delivered or given them up in a good sense to the grace of God. Did they know about Saul? Did they recall or had Saul spoken to them in Antioch about what was said to Ananias? Remember, Lord, you don't understand. This guy's the guy that's killing all the Christians. Do you remember what the Lord said? Go to Ananias. He says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Listen, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Did they know this? Friends, it was this church who entrusted these men to the grace of God, knowing that what they were now to embark upon would not be easy. It would not be accomplished by their own strength or by giftedness on their part. This is, this is important. By implication, writes one commentator, Luke is saying that the members of the church in Syrian Antioch were aware of the difficulties and perils Paul and Barnabas would have to encounter on their journey. The church had committed the missionaries to the grace of God. Another commentator says they've committed them to the divine care and protection of the Lord. They supported them in prayer and trusted the Lord to extend his church through their work. In fact, the Lord had answered their prayers and the task given to the apostles had been fulfilled. If this commentator is right in his assessment, they went out, Paul and Barnabas went out as part of the church, and the church supported them in the work that the Lord had set them apart to do. So it is right for them to come back as the ministry uh, was not that of one or two individuals, but of the entire church. Does that make sense? Paul and Barnabas are not the rock stars of the church. They're servants of the church. They're servants of the Lord. And so that's why I'm convinced they returned to Antioch. I mean, they were so far away from Antioch. What a hassle getting home. Why not just go on and see some sights? Why not just go on and do their own thing, take some vacation time? Uh, go do something fun but I think it's it's awfully sweet and it'll be from Antioch that Paul would go out repeatedly it's his home church it's where he 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 goes he, he goes out from them and he ministers the church is essential to the work of advancing the kingdom of God in John 3 um, third John rather let me read verses 5 through 8 for us we sometimes think this is not the case, but this is really the case, and I think we have a weak ecclesiology, um, I'm including myself in that, is that we think, well, we just get together and do what we do on Sundays, and that's it. But the church is so much more than just the gathering and what we do. Of course, that's, that's the, the, the most important things we do is gather for worship, but the church is vital. The church is vital for the work of advancing the kingdom of God. Listen to John in 3 John 5 through 8. 
Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Paul himself in Philippians would speak of how the Philippians ministered, how they partnered in the gospel, in the ministry. That's what's happening. Why are they going back to Antioch? Because in Antioch is where they've commended them, they have prayed for them, they have supported them. And, and, and through all of the trials that Paul and Barnabas would go through, there were, I don't know how many people, hundreds of people in Antioch on their knees praying fervently that the Lord would open doors for the gospel, that, the, that they would be sustained through the trials and, and temptations that would come their way. And so they accomplished what they were sent out to do, but they did not do it alone. The church was praying, and God's grace was heavy upon them. And I believe at this point it's entirely appropriate uh, to caution you against covetousness and jealousy. What is covetousness, and why would I even bring this up? I bring it up for this reason. Paul and Barnabas were given gifts. They were uh, teachers, uh, prophets. They were uh, men with great, great gifts to expand the kingdom of God. Could they have done this without the church supporting them? I don't think so. God was the one who set the church apart in order to do this. Now, it would be a very simple thing for someone to get a bee in their bonnet and say, well, I want to do that. Well, I wish that were me and to withhold and to sabotage. That's not what we see here. Uh, covetousness is a, a, a strong or inordinate desire of obtaining or possessing some supposed good. The 10th commandment in the Shorter Catechism, question 81, what does the 10th commandment forbid? They say discontentment with our own condition envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Understand that had they not behaved in a manner uh, that was proper, they would have hurt the work of the church. If we take the attitude among ourselves, well, I don't have what I want, I want what he has, I don't like what I have, etc., etc., we end up doing great harm to the church. You remember the parable of the talents. One is given five, one is given two, and one is given one. The man with five goes and invests them, and he brings back five more. The one with two goes and invests them, and brings back two more than the two he had. And the one who was given one said, well, what can I do with one? So he just sat on it. Of course, he makes excuses on on why this was supposed to be wise and such a virtuous thing he has done and the Lord, the master, calls him wicked and lazy and evil. He should have invested it in the bank. It would have come back at least with a little bit of interest. The point being is that the Lord gives us what the Lord gives us. Jesus said to John, you know, if I want you to stay with me until you live, and Peter says, well, well what about me? What about me? And he goes, you worry about you, Peter. I'm speaking to John. You've got different lives, you've got different calls, you've got different gifts, you have different things going on, and the, the wise and the almighty has determined the body of Christ, the parts, the pieces, the ministries, the effects. 
He's determined all of these things. And he says, get over yourself, get your eyes off yourself, and start looking at me and use the gifts that I've given you for the glory of my son, Jesus Christ. If the church had not done that, Paul and and Barnabas would not have been successful, would not have been able to fulfill what they did. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12. Again, a passage you are well familiar with, uh, dealing with the spiritual gifts, in verse 14 through 31. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. And then he would go on to speak of love. These two men, Paul and Barnabas, were prominent. They were out in front doing very visible work. But they were not doing it alone, but as part of the body. There were a lot of people supporting the work whose names we will never know until we reach glory. You understand? The church is necessary. They returned to Antioch because they were indebted to Antioch and the mission work that they were accomplishing was not accomplished in their own power, but there was a supporting church behind them on their knees praying. So they returned home to those who had commended them to God. Secondly, look at verse 27. We see what they did when they returned home. We read, When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They reported of God's faithfulness to those who sent them. They come back home and they edify the saints in Antioch. So they arrived back, and when they did, see what they did, they gathered the church together. Notice he does not gather the churches together. 
there is because there is only one church and there's one head of the church Jesus Christ why did they gather them together it was in order to give a report of all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles again to report all things that God had done with them understand it has been about two years since they have seen one another and a lot has happened in those two years They've been sent out by the church. The church has prayed for them, for their work, for their safety, for their protection, commending them to the grace of God. And the church needs to be encouraged and edified as well as to what was going on, what had happened. They need to know and be encouraged by what has taken place, how prayers were answered, how the grace of God uh, preserved them, lest they become, lest the church become discouraged uh, by, by praying and never seeing results. Again, friends, this is a, a wonderful thing, a practice to get into, and it, and, it, and it could sound like, well, we need to come back and brag to you about all that we did. But clearly, this isn't the message that Paul and Barnabas, we want to come and tell you all the things that the Lord did. We're coming back to encourage you that your prayers were effective, that, that, that they... that. Listen to all the things we went through. They're there to boast about the Lord and what the Lord has done, uh, lest they become discouraged. Friends, when somebody's praying for you and you have a wonderful answer of prayer, please take time to go and tell them, thank you for praying, because it's been a wonderful result. <laughs> right? It's a good thing for people to be reminded what the Lord has done. And so Luke writes, they began to report all things. In other words, they gathered the church together and began to report all the things. It was not accomplished over a meal or even in an evening, but probably over several long meetings. Um, the tense, the imperfect tense, it was repeated. This is a, uh, we're going to meet this night, then we're going to meet on that night, and we're going to continue to tell you all the things. They give some detailed un, 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 unwrapping, some detailed report of all the things that had taken place. Uh, over the course of those two years. Things such as being able to proclaim the word of God in a sy uh, synagogue in Salamis. Um, things about the opposition they experienced in Paphos by the Jewish false prophet Bar-Jesus and how Paul opposed him and he was made blind, but the proconsul Sergius Paulus believed. They would report things like, where's John? And they'd say, well, John deserted us. John whatever his he was homesick or he was having a problem with us talking to gentiles he just wasn't quite ready for this yet so he deserted us they spoke about their travels through perga and pisidia and antioch and and how they preached there and how the jews and gentiles had believed and they wanted us to stay on nearly the whole city assembled uh, to hear the word of god the jews became jealous they were unbelieving they were violent a violence was instigated against us. We shook the dust off our feet. Oh, and you should have heard the thing about Iconium and Lystra. Well, we went there, and then they, they said we're gods, and we're trying to sacrifice to us. What? Yeah, they said Barnabas was, was Zeus, and, and I was Hermes because I was the guy who was always talking. Right? You, I mean, you can just imagine they start unfolding all of these things. Well, what happened? Did they sacrifice? No, in fact, some Jews followed us all the way from Antioch. All the way from Antioch? What's wrong with those nut jobs? Well, let me tell you, they convinced the crowds and they tried to kill me. In fact, they stoned Paul and left him for dead. But God raised him up. 
And he marched right back into that city. I mean, you can just imagine the stories that they're telling and the questions and the wide eyes and the tears. Because our God hears. He's heard our prayers. And suddenly these people who had been on their knees for two years, talking and praying and pleading with the Lord, now they come back and they, it's like, oh, I was praying for that. I was praying, Lord, if, if, if Paul should get stoned, would you please protect him? <laughs> because they knew these things. They knew that Paul was to go into hardship. That, that had been foretold. They knew these things. So all of a sudden, the church that was ministering from a distance is now up close and personal, and they are part of the ministry of evangelism, part of the work of missions, part of the work of bringing the Gentiles into the church. And it becomes a wonderfully sweet, edifying thing that takes place. There was great fruit. There was great persecution and a, and a strengthening of the churches. These are all the things that God had done with them. And notice, friends, that God is given the glory. But I also want you to notice that these men are recognized as being faithful instruments. And I want us to be careful of this. Because all glory does go to the Lord. But sometimes we neglect to, to recognize that the Lord uses faithful men and women. And I don't see the scriptures forbidding that. Um, because he even says here um, in verse 26, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. Speaking of Paul and Barnabas, they're recognized as fulfilling their calling. And when they had arrived and gathered to the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them. God uses instruments. In fact, Paul would say to Timothy to be a useful instrument, that, that, that it's important that you be free from certain things, you be a holy minister unto the Lord that you not be given over to your flesh. And so it's not wrong to recognize the faithfulness of a servant. But what we must not do is start giving credit to these men as though it were by their power or grace that they accomplished it. You see, we get a little weird sometimes. Oh, that was a really good sermon. Well, I didn't come up with it. It's the message God gave me. You just relax and say, thank you, praise the Lord right? We're just instruments. We're just servants doing what the Lord has told us to do. You just say thank you, praise the Lord, direct eyes, don't applaud for any man, give glory to God who gives gifts to people, but understand that you too have those gifts. And so when I'm coming to you and I'm saying thank you for doing this, don't say, well you shouldn't be thanking me. Well, you were the one who did it. <laughs> but I'm not worshiping you. I'm just thanking the Lord that you're obedient to use the gifts that he's given you. But all glory goes to the Lord. And, and to support this, what I'm saying, if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. First Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. We read this. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. I just bring that up as a point of tweaking in our theology. Um, The glory does go to the Lord, but he does give gifts to men, and God does bless those gifts, and he does bless and reward obedience um, because of the grace that's working in us and through us to accomplish the things he gives us. So we render to the Lord our, our hearts of obedience. We have nothing and can do nothing apart from the Lord. And not only uh, did he did, did they share uh, what he did with them, but also how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This phrase, door of faith, scholars note, is a particularly favorite expression of the apostle. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, uh, we read, For a wide door for effective service has opened up to me, says Paul. In 2 Corinthians 2, 12, he writes, And when a door was opened for me in the Lord, and then Colossians 4, 3, praying that the Lord, that God will open up to us a door for the word. Here, when he speaks of it, that God had done uh, with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, this is a phrase that denotes the opportunity afforded to the Gentiles of believing upon Christ and being saved. And this is precisely what we have read through chapters 13 and 14, that many, many Gentiles, along with many Jews, came to faith in the Lord as a result of God's grace and the prayers of his people on their behalf. So understand that the church, as they've gone back to Antioch, the church has grown, the gospel has advanced, and now the Gentiles, who are likewise part of the church, because of the saints in Antioch, they sought um, the Lord and obeyed him. Because these saints ministered to the Lord, The Lord gave them that great opportunity to send out men with gifts to go and advance the kingdom of God. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing that we would see from this congregation, other congregations, other churches started down the road? That's what we should be thinking about, not just surviving, (laughs) but thriving like a plant that's puts off shoots and puts down roots. That's what we should be seeing, and that's what we should pray for. Finally, friends, uh, they have come full circle when we read in verse 28, and they spent a long time with the disciples. Scholars believe that this long time was at least a year in length. Why so long? Some have suggested that the church was still young and that they would still require training and did, um, uh, rather, and encouragement in the Lord. The fact that after two years there was still a church there uh, to return to meant that people continued to preach and teach and meet and serve one another. In fact, when we read from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we see that there are multiple teachers and prophets. A few are, are singled out, but there were multiple teachers and prophets in that congregation and after two years, they're still thriving. Um, I think it's more likely than 
them needing preaching and teaching and more ongoing encouragement, I think it's probably more useful and beneficial to Paul and Barnabas to be able to come home to the body of Christ that loved them and has loved them and has enabled them now to refresh and be strengthened again in the things of the Lord before he goes out again to continue to advance the kingdom. Understand, friends, that the church is essential. You are essential. You, each of you, is essential to the advance of the kingdom of God. Your gifts are necessary to the health of the church. Your, your prayers are necessary uh, for those who would carry the gospel out. Some of you are, are quite naturally evangelistic. Others of you, it, it terrifies you but you're on your knees praying. Others of you are teachers and you're reminding the body of what we should be adhering to and others of you are incredibly discerning and say, that doesn't smell right. <laughs> we, need to, we need to rethink this. And collectively together, we are doing the work of the kingdom. And I think that's why Paul and Barnabas go right back home and they share these things of what all that God has done. That's the church. That's what we are. That's what we've been called to. And we shouldn't be discouraged. This is written here for our sake, just as much as it was their sake. It's written for our sake that we would take encouragement from this and not grow weary. The church is not a spectator sport. Do you understand? We don't just come and watch and observe. We put our muck boots on, we get our hands dirty, and we jump in. And we say, where can I serve? What can I do? How can I help? We were talking about this in the membership class, and I'll close with this. Um, people have asked me a thousand times or more, um, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? How do I know where I fit? Here's, uh, and I, I remember our, our brother Don passed out in church one day and he fell and one, one of our sisters was standing there and she said the first thing that popped into her mind was chicken salad or chicken casserole. I thought that was the funniest thing. Why would chicken casserole pop in your mind when somebody passed out? And then it dawned on me because she has a gift and that gift is mercy or it's care or it's giving. It was something she said, that's, I need, to, I need to bring a chicken casserole to them to minister to them. That's a gift. My hunch is, is that the gifts, the gift you have is you recognize certain things and you say, boy, there's something lacking there. There needs to be something met there. Instead of coming to the pastor and saying, hey, you know what you should do? You should come to the pastor and say, or one of the elders, you should come and say, I had an idea and I wanted to run it by you and see what you think. My hunch is, is that you're recognizing a need because you have a gift for that area. And then you try it. And when the church responds and says, I was extremely blessed by what you did, and you, you have identified a gift that the Lord has given you. But don't be a spectator. These, these dear saints in Antioch were not spectators. They were involved. They were hands-on in the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And together, we saw the kingdom of God advance. Let's pray.
Again, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and pray, O oh Lord, that, that uh, your people would be encouraged, that your church would be encouraged, that you would fan into a flame these gifts that you have given to us and that we would, Lord, work together for making Jesus Christ known. Some are more in front and some are more in back, but all are necessary. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us from covetousness and jealousy and, and, and grumbling. Um, we know that you do all things well. And you're very wise, so much wiser than we are. Would you, Lord, please take uh, this congregation and would you, Father, fashion us into what you would have us be, that perhaps, Lord, in your wise and kind providence, in days and months to come, years, we would see many churches started where Christ is exalted and sinners are brought to life. We thank you again for your word and pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.